Welcome to Process to Profitability, a podcast all about the tools and strategies you need to serve your clients and grow your small business, hosted by me, Samantha Mabe of Lemon in the Sea. Join me as I chat with creative entrepreneurs and small business owners about how they built and grew their businesses and how you can do the same in a way that fits you. Let's get started. You're listening to episode 81 of Process to Profitability. Today, I'm talking with Christina Scalera about understanding website policies and the GDPR. Christina gives us her insight into the GDPR and what it means for all of us as small business owners, as well as things we can be doing to just get our website policies and terms and conditions up to date so that we are really on track legally and it's not something we have to worry about down the road. I loved talking with her about this and she's actually the person that I got my GDPR compliant privacy policy from. So I recommend you check her out at the contract shop and listen to this episode when you have a chance to take some notes and just figure out what it is that you need to be doing for your own website, depending on where you are and what you do for your business. We talk about newsletters and opt-ins, the new cookie banner, and she gives us some action steps that you can take today to just get started on this journey without freaking out about it. Christina Scalera is the attorney and founder behind The Contract Shop, a contract template store for creative entrepreneurs, wedding professionals, and coaches. Three years ago, Christina found herself dreaming of pursuing a more creative path, and she started to look for alternatives to her in-house legal job. She explored everything from teaching yoga to becoming a freelance graphic designer to opening an Etsy shop. In the process, she ended up coming full circle by creating a business that brought the benefit of her legal training to her fellow creatives. When she's not staring at a computer or awkwardly standing on cafe chairs for the perfect overhead latte photo, you can find her in the woods doing things that are sometimes dangerous but always fun like riding horses, skiing, and reluctantly camping. Hi, Christina. How are you? Hi, Samantha. I'm great. How are you doing? Good. I read your bio at the top of the show, but can you tell us a little bit more about who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm an attorney. I'm the founder of The Contract Shop, but it was a long, very circuitous route to get there because after I graduated from law school, I decided to work. Well, I got offered a really great job, actually, as trademark counsel at a privately held company. And I took that job up and uh, this is what happens, right, in life. <laughs> like you make plans one way and then they, they have to go in totally the opposite way because I got hit with a kind of hard medical diagnosis and I had to change something in my life. And I'm not really good at moderation. So I was like, let's just do something totally different. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in LA taking a yoga teacher training thinking, well, maybe I could be a private yoga teacher. That would be really cool. And Lo and behold, I get back to Atlanta where I lived at the time and going to all these networking events, really putting my neck out there, which I'm very introverted. So that was really difficult. And uh, I finally get not just one, but two people that are super interested in working with me. And, you know, they're super well off professionals, very established and they wanted to hire me. And I was just, as you can imagine, thrilled except for there was a one huge problem. I didn't have a contract template or a contract to send to them really. So here I had clients. I have a law degree. I've worked as an attorney. I should have tons of stuff to send to them, but I didn't. You don't just graduate law school with like a bank of, of contracts in your back pocket, unfortunately. So what happened was I took 
two weeks to get this thing back to them. And because I wanted to be perfect, because that's the mindset that I was in at the time, I made it in Photoshop, which (laughs) I know your audience has a bunch of graphic designers. I'll just let that sink in. Like try making a seven page typed document in Photoshop. It's the worst. So anyway, I I finally get this thing back to them. It's how I'm like decently okay with the content. I'm not thrilled. I love the way it looks because, you know, at the time I was my own graphic designer and I thought it was some pretty cool. I was making some pretty cool stuff. It was not cool. Um, It was really bad actually, but I thought it was cool at the time. And um, I give it to them and they're like, who are you? What's this? And I was like, I'm the person you're interested in. I was going to help you. Oh yeah. I I just decided to hire a personal trainer and said, I didn't hear back from you was basically the answer that I got from both people. Mm. So that was really devastating because that was like, I mean, as you can imagine, making money as a yoga teacher isn't that easy to do. And uh, here was my opportunity to literally be, be making thousands of dollars a month with just two clients and I blew it. So that was really difficult. And around the same time, um, the Rising Tide Society was popping up. I started to go to a couple different conferences. Like I went to Alum, Bonnie Bakhtiari's conference. I went to Making Things Happen, Laura Casey's conference. And I just got to meet a lot of really cool people there. And a lot of them, as you know, were in the creative industry. And it kept getting outed that I was, I was a lawyer. And when that would happen, people would have a flood of questions. And so I kind of put two and two together, right? Like, it was this hard for me to make a contract. How hard is it for someone who doesn't have this legal background? And then also people need help with this. Like there is no one helping these people. Otherwise they wouldn't have so many questions. And so I went home and I've never taken faster action. You know, like up until this point, I'd been like, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to highlight everything. And I'm going to, you know, like when you're really cautious in the beginning of, of your small business, That's how I was. And anyway, this all changed. I went home. I took fast action. I put up a website. It was a Squarespace website with a template. Um, I'm so, so thankful for the designer for creating a Squarespace template. Who knew? Anyway, I took really fast action. I got this up. I got a 27 page freebie up and a five email series that followed it. Like I had never created an email series in my life. I didn't even know what MailChimp was. Like I had to figure all this stuff out. And um, that was how the contract shop really got started. And then we officially changed the name to that last year. So it's, it's only been a year as the contract shop. Before that, it was just my name because I was like, what do I call this thing? I don't know. My name's cool. <laughs> I think it's funny because most of us would have started and not even thought about needing a contract. But you were like, I need a contract. And either way, that's sometimes the longest, hardest part for most of us. Yeah. And my goal with the contract shop is to change that for people because I really want people to have a great client experience, especially as they're getting started. Because that's, I mean, you know, this more, more than anything, your client experience is what sends you referrals. It's what builds your business. And to me, the contract is such an integral part of that client experience. So you know, you don't have to have like the perfect systems and an onboarding sequence and a gift and like all this. Actually, I've never sent a gift to my my new clients, by the way. But what I will say is that if you don't treat people well, if you don't communicate well, if you don't set expectations, which is what the contract does, then you're setting yourself up for failure with that client relationship. And so, you know, obviously I'm a little biased, but I really think that the client experience and the client relationship is the highest importance to any service-based business. Yeah. 
it definitely is and it's a hard thing to kind of get started with so places like the contract shop that have these templates that we can use are really helpful because I'm not a lawyer. I would have no idea what to include in a contract. I think my first one probably just said, this is what I'm doing for you. Don't sue me, please. Yeah. And like, that's the thing is the legal stuff can get overwhelming really fast. And I know that. And that's why I try to break everything down. Like I'm a very much like here, here's a good example. All I wanted when I started my business, like, right, the contract shop is up and running. Okay, so great. We got over the yoga hurdle thing. Now we're into the contract shop. Sales are kind of slow. Like, all I wanted at that point in my business was for somebody to tell me, Christina, here's what you are going to do today. Like, I wanted a boss so bad, which sounds so crazy for people that work for themselves. Like, that's why you work for yourself, to get away from a boss. But oh man, I wanted a boss so bad. I just wanted someone to give me assignments and tell me what to do and make sure they were done on time. And that wasn't happening. And so that's one of the things that I love about what I get to do now, because if the audience doesn't know, I I actually have two businesses. So my service-based business is a law firm. And then I have the contract shop, which is not a law firm, but it does give out a lot more legal resources and information than my law firm does. So what I get to do with the contract shop is I get to educate people on what they should be doing every day. And I take it from a client experience perspective because I think Instagram and Facebook ads and email marketing, like those all have a time and place. But if you can't nail down your client experience, you're like promising people cake and then like they get to your house and there's no cake. So like your client experience is that cake. And so you want to bake the cake and have it made and ready. And you're like waiting to serve it to people. And then you go out and you do the Facebook ads, the Instagram stuff, the email newsletters, everything. So nailing that down, I think can be the, one of the fastest things you do in your business. But then, I mean, one of the most important in terms of like follow through and delivery, because that's honestly, Samantha, it's like one of the fastest places to set yourself apart because everybody is focusing on the front end. They're not focusing on the back end. So yeah, I mean, I, it's really cool that we get to provide people with resources and like step-by-step guides. Like, you know, we give them a quiz, like we have that quiz on our site and it helps them assess where they're at and then tells them exactly what to do from there. So boom, you got a boss, <laughs> but not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. All right. So today we're specifically talking about website policies and the GDPR. And this is something that I wanted to talk with somebody about because a lot of my clients have struggled with it since it's come out and trying to explain it to them has been hard um, to just kind of tell them what it all means and why they need it. So I'm really grateful that you're here to talk about that today. Yeah, of course. So let's start by talking about what your website policies and terms and conditions are and why they're important. Sure. So what you're referring to are two different things. So we have privacy policies, which became a lot more important with the GDPR. And then we have the terms and conditions of your site. So I'll break each down. Privacy policies have always been required. Like, I mean, I started using the internet and I don't even know, like 1992. But yeah, I mean, as far as I could remember, privacy policies have always been required by the the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, if you hear me refer to that, I'll just call it the FTC. And what privacy policies do is it tells the user who comes to your website what kind of information you're collecting on them and then how you're collecting that information. So if you're gonna offer them some kind of email opt-in and they're putting their name and email address into the box and submitting that, 
Well, that's important to disclose that you're collecting names and emails addresses because those are things that are considered personal information. And the way that you're going to use that is X, Y, Z. And that's what your privacy policy does. It tells them that you're going to sell it to a million people or that you're going to keep it safe and not ever let it see the light of day, or you're going to send them regular marketing communications or, you know, in most cases, irregular, but trying to be regular marketing communications. So it just, people need to know what kind of information you are taking from them and what you're doing with that information. So that's what a privacy policy is. And we're going to revisit that, I'm sure, with the GDPR. Next up is the terms and conditions. And so terms and conditions are where you get to be the king or the queen of your own domain, literally, <laughs> like pun totally intended, because your website is your little castle and you get to guard it and you get to sit in it with these terms and conditions. So you get to determine what people can and cannot do when they are interacting with your content. Can they make comments? Can they share photos? Can they take screenshots? Can they link back to your site? How should they link back to your site? Who can use your website? Those kinds of things are all what you get to determine in your terms and conditions. And so the, your terms and conditions and your privacy policy collectively make up, it's not a, a per se a contract, but it is a type of contract that you have with the visitor to your site. And especially with like any kind of customer or client who's like making payments through your site, especially because they might explicitly be checking a box that says they, they agree to your terms and conditions. Your terms and conditions are also where you get to put things like your refund policy or like ongoing longer term disclosures that you probably need to have on your site. So it's a really nice little toolbox that you can use and refer back to. Like I've, I refer back to it all the time. I'm like, what was my refund policy? Oh yeah. Like now it's really easy. We just have a 14 day, no questions. Well, we do ask you some questions, but it's only to make the product better, but it's like no hassle. That's what I should say. It's a 14 day, no hassle. You can return our products for any reason and get a refund. But before I had to look up what, what was our refund policy for this product or this product. So that's where it can be really helpful because especially as you're growing and you have a team, you can always point them back to your terms and conditions and say, well, what do they say? So that you're only keeping one document up to date and not like seven different Google Docs or something. Okay. So why do these things need to actually be on your website? Like a return policy, people might think, well, I know that I have a document on my computer. Why does it need to be on your website? <laughs> Great question. So the FTC requires the privacy policies. So the privacy policies are really there to protect the visitor. The terms and conditions are really there to protect you. I mean, that's not like a complete picture, but that's a, a generally speaking, that's what each of those exists for. So the FTC requires you to have privacy policies, same with the GDPR. You're now required to have a GDPR compliant privacy policy and then enforce it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the terms and conditions are really there for your benefit. And, you know, the other thing is just having it available publicly can help cut down on future losses. So what I mean by that is like the other day I got a request for a refund for a contract template because the girl just decided that she wasn't going to be in business anymore. Well, she purchased our product six months ago. So, you know, I can't really help that she's going out of business and that she pro purchased our product six months ago. But I can say, well, you know, your refund policy was stated on the product listing in the terms and conditions on our site in your download, blah, 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 right? So like the more places that you have a refund policy, I think the better just because people can't backpedal and be like, oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. You know, and side note, you should, this is something you should be proud of. Like, I'm really proud to offer people 14 days to try our product without any kind of hassle. You know, like if it's not a good fit for you or you hate it or you never implement it, like we'll give you your money back. So 
that was something I was really scared about, but I know you're asking the question about the terms and conditions, but I just want to say like, you should be really proud of these, these terms and conditions. Like you worked hard for that product or the blog posts that are on your site. And so, you know, for you to be able to tell people, yes, I would love it if you could take my blog posts and share them with credit back to me. And here's how I want the credit. Like, that's really cool. And that's really important. And that's what your terms and conditions are for. Same with your photos. Like if you're a photographer, you can tell people, no, you can't use any of my photos or yes, you can use my photos with credit, but not for like a sales page or something. So you can like make up any of your own rules there and you can tell people exactly what you expect of them. And then if they break those rules, like if you do find your, your photo being used without your permission or they use it and they don't credit you or whatever you said was the rule for using that photo, that's when you can step in and say, listen, this was public information. It was really easy to access and you didn't follow it. So, you know, I have to kindly ask that you take it down now or, you know, pay me this invoice for using my photo or whatever the solution is that you're looking for. So I think the, the privacy policies are just like, you have to have them. <laughs> that's like, uh, you know, paying your taxes or anything else. You could get in trouble with the FTC and the fines aren't, aren't pretty. So that's why you would have those. And then the, the terms and conditions, I think, anybody would be prudent to have because it helps them out a lot in the long run and it, it helps cut down on customer confusion and then just like you know he said she said type arguments later because you can just be like no that was there you had access to it you didn't follow it I'm enforcing it now yeah and I think that makes a lot of sense and these are steps I mean that you need to have in the case of the policies the privacy policies but it's also taking your business seriously so that other people take it seriously. We're stepping up from a hobby to a business and we're doing things the right way and we're doing the front end work so that everything is in place down the road. That's a great point. I didn't even bring that up. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Okay. And it sounds like because it's required by the FTC, everybody needs a privacy policy on their website, no matter what it's for or what you're doing. Correct, yeah. I mean, unless you're not collecting any kind of personal information, but I would argue that that would be a very difficult thing to accomplish in today's day and age. Yes. Part of what it takes to run a successful online business is having the right tools for the job. I'm sharing a list of all of the tools I use in my business in my toolbox. And you can find that at lemonandthesea.com slash my dash toolbox to download it now. These include tools that I use for podcasting, designing, running my business, and other things. So you can get a real inside look at everything that I use every day in order to serve my clients well and grow my business. Again, you can find that at lemonandthesea.com slash my dash toolbox. Okay, so... I'm sure people have heard about the GDPR and they probably got a million emails talking about how things have changed and they have to re-agree to all of this stuff. I know my husband heard me talk about it and then he started getting those emails from people and was like, oh, I actually understand what this is now. Yeah. So what is the GDPR and how has this changed what we need to have on our website? The GDPR Armageddon, I call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the general data protection regulation that came out of the European Union is a, it's a new regulation concerning the privacy of, of users on your site and what kind of data you're collecting from them. So like I said, the privacy policy thing, that's like nothing new. I think most people were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy new. But 
they just hadn't paid attention before, which is not their fault. Like they just didn't know, right? But the GDPR really brought this to light. And so having a great privacy policy is the first step in the right direction. The next thing with the GDPR to know is that it only applies to you if you have one of the established connections that the GDPR sets out, which arguably is is very vague and, and kind of confusing, but still uh, we can do our best to figure out who and who it does not apply to. So for example, there's there's really four factors that that make the GDPR apply to somebody. If you are selling directly to, or if you are advertising, I should say, directly to a European consumer base, so that's someone in Spain, the UK, until March, I think it's 29th of 2019, I can't remember <laughs> the exact date, but the UK is leaving the EU. So I don't know what's going to happen there, but for now, they're part of the EU. So if you're advertising, like if you're doing Facebook ads or Instagram ads, and you're selecting an audience that's located in the UK or in one of the EU countries, which there's so many of them. Um, that I can't even list them off right now. So make sure you go and check if you have any doubt about that. But if you are advertising, that's one factor that would mean that you now have to comply with the GDPR. If you are advertising or if you have content that is in the language, so I'm not talking about like general Spanish, I'm talking about like Spain Spanish or uh, Italian or British English, like UK English, well, that, that would kind of be a stretch. But, you know, basically what they're looking for here is that you're creating content for a European user. So if you're creating it for people in the EU, then it's likely going to apply to you. If you are taking in the currency of that country, so if you're taking in any kind of euros or pounds, then the regulation could arguably apply to you. And then finally, if you are just holding yourself out as a vendor to these countries, it could possibly be applicable to you. And so by vendor, I don't mean like, you know, you have a sale every once in a while to someone in the EU. I mean, like your business basically depends on it. Your business would be hurt if you took away sales from one, like one of the countries. And so the GDPR is really unique because it's aimed at protecting Europeans, like generally. Uh, so it could be EU citizens, it could be people that live in the EU that are accessing the internet, it could be people that are from America traveling to the EU on vacation and accessing websites. So it's very unclear still at this point, the regulation went into effect on May 25th of this year of 2018. It's really unclear as to who exactly this is meant to protect because they're like, they haven't limited it just to EU citizens. So that's kind of confusing. So I think that's why people were like really freaking out. But what was interesting, Samantha, is that I just want to note that like the big companies of the world sat back and basically did nothing. Like I think Facebook and Google maybe put out like a, hey, like this thing's coming. We don't care. And I think that should be a signal to other people that like, yes, this is something to pay attention to. This is something to like, if you've never paid attention to your privacy policy before, well, like maybe it's time to get that ish in order. But like, it's not something to freak out in the way that I've seen our industry freak out about. And it really makes me sad because I've seen a lot of attorneys go onto other podcasts and things like that, and they scare people. And that's, I feel like the worst way to get people. I mean, that's why people hate lawyers, right? Because they're just like scary and they're to take your money and like get you to buy stuff. It just, it's very frustrating to me. So I was really hesitant. We put out a product around the GDPR because there was so much confusion and I'm very upfront because I am not the most conservative attorney. I think it's really dangerous to set a precedent where one like group of countries or one country could unilaterally set a rule that exists everywhere. I think that's not a good precedent to set anywhere. You know, what if like 
South Korea just decides like randomly there or, you know, any country, India, um, Brazil, like whatever, they could all just decide that they have to, like, we have to comply to some ridiculous, crazy rule that doesn't make sense for us. But because we have like two people a year that buy from that country, we have to comply now. It's just crazy to me that this is even happening. And I think Google and Facebook had the same reaction because they were basically just like middle finger in the air, bye. And, you know, they were the ones that this was really aimed at and directed towards. So, you know, like I said, it's not something that this is, this was never directed towards us as a small business owner. It was directed towards, you know, the big financial institutions of the world that kept losing our privacy information. Things like social security numbers, slightly important. Things like hotels, things like Facebook, things like Google, like entities and companies that have a lot of sensitive or potentially sensitive information on people. And so it's not really directed towards us as small business owners, but that doesn't mean that we just should like bury our heads in the sand. I think it's a good thing to like bring this all to light. We all got to see like what it's all about, but at the same time, go through those factors, see if they apply to you. If, if you're not selling there, like if you're only servicing wedding planning clients in the Chicago area, probably doesn't apply to you, but that doesn't mean you just, you know, should ignore it because things like this are coming down the pipeline. If you hear other people talk about this, what I will say is that I definitely, like I said, I'm not on the conservative side because the, the law doesn't operate in black and white. It operates in the gray area and that's why people pay attorneys to interpret it and to move them closer to a black or a white side. So if you listen to other people, they might have a more conservative viewpoint. Like there was one attorney I know I've, I heard that was like telling people you have to get everyone to re-opt into your email list. To me, that's extreme. Like, yes, he was technically correct. That wouldn't be harmful, <laughs> but there has to be some kind of balance between what is practical and what is, um, you know, what is now required by law. And so for me, that was, that was just not practical. But, you know, I think honestly for small business centers, with my GDPR bundle, we gave people a terms and conditions and privacy policy. We taught them about the GDPR, what they needed to know, because there's a lot of it that just does not apply to small business owners. There's just a lot of different things in there that can help you through, like some templates, some examples of what is and what isn't acceptable, how to add checkboxes to your opt-ins, which I think we're going to start to see a lot more of. It'll be name, email, checkbox, you know, do you opt into receiving marketing communications, which again, the really conservative attorneys will tell you no, like that's not okay. You have to get them to opt in to your list separately. Like they are only opting in for the one freebie. For me, I'm like, that doesn't sound practical. I'm just going to ask them if they opt in. And if they're a total idiot and they don't realize that they're signing up for a marketing communication. I mean, I think the world has just gotten to a really sad place because people have to have some kind of personal responsibility. Um, and then, you know, finally, Samantha, like the last thing to consider in all of this, like this is what gets forgotten. And I don't know why people don't talk about this, but like, let's look at what would actually have to happen to have this thing enforced. You would have to get probably like upwards of 50 to 100 complaints within a one to three day period for anybody to take a look at your website and say, huh, we should look at what's happening here. So you know, most of us are struggling to get 50 to 100 people even looking at our website a day, much less who are going to Google and find out the right authority to report this to and fill out the form and like take the time to do that. So like I said, I do think it's important to pay attention to, but realistically, the chances that this is something that a small business owner in America runs into problems with is very slim. I don't want to say it's nothing, right? Like, I don't know. They could decide to enforce it very, very heavily tomorrow and who knows what would happen. But at this point in time, as we're recording this, 
it's something, like I said, that I'm, I'm paying attention to. I'm watching. I've updated my privacy policies. I've updated the way that I communicate with people. I've made sure that I use a GDPR compliant email sender. So I use Klaviyo and ActiveCampaign. So they both have options for people to, to like, once they unsubscribe, they can delete their data, which is a consideration of the GDPR. So, you know, I've done what I can realistically, but like, I'm not going to kill my business just to comply with something that may or may not be enforced. Yeah. And I think what happened was everybody freaked out about all of these things that they had to do and they were going to have to start everything over on their email lists. And that really wasn't the case, especially for us who are located in the United States. It was more putting things into place as we kind of had the resources and the time so that we could work up to these standards, knowing that, you know, we might have people in the European Union coming to our website and purchasing from us, and that these are things that are going to be happening in the U.S. too, that, you know, eventually we're going to need to have this kind of stuff in place, so we might as well at least take some steps now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a big wake-up call. Like I said, I, I don't think most people even had a privacy policy or knew what it was. I think it was just like a big wake up call. And like I said, it was for me, I was watching it. It was like sharks in the water coming after small business owners. <laughs> and so, like I said, we were not going to create something. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. Like there's so much bad information and like scare tactics that are being used right now. I'm just going to create something. I'm not going to market it. And it's actually been one of our best products ever, even though we never marketed it. We never, we never even really shared about it. We just put it on our website and we were like, if you want this, it's here. If you don't fine. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had to make some changes to your newsletters and I don't think we all need to freak out about this, but can you just talk a little bit about what kind of that might look like for somebody, especially if they are getting a lot of people from the European Union or maybe they're located there. So they need to do a little bit more of this compliance. Yeah. Well, first of all, this is, again, something that the FTC has always required that we have proper disclosures in our newsletters. And I think a lot of people thought they had more work to do because of the GDPR, but it was like just stuff that they had never done. Mm -hmm. So I'll just point out some stuff that, that you need from the GDPR or just like regularly, because I think a lot of people miss the regular stuff too. Regular stuff, having an unsubscribe button, you have to have it. It can't be like hidden in, you know, six point font with in white text that blends in with the white background. Like you have to have an unsubscribe button. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing in your newsletter, but it can't be something that's impossible to find. Little tip with the unsubscribe, I like to create a custom page that asks them why they're unsubscribing instead of giving them the option to report me as spam, which is one of the default options. There is no requirement or regulation that you have that default page that asks them to report you as spam or, you know, they get too many emails or, you know, whatever the, the, the reason is that they select. There is no requirement to have that page. So I was just like, great, let's ask them why they're unsubscribing and make a little video and I'm sad in it and I'm going to ask them to resubscribe. So just like a business tip there. But having that unsubscribe button is critical. Having an address, this is something everybody seems to miss or they put 123 Main Street, California. Mm -hmm. That is not allowed. I would be more scared about that than I would be about the entire GDPR because like you're going to have people mailing you stuff. You're going to have people that are looking your business up. And when they find out that your business is like a Dunkin' Donuts based on the address, you know, if they chose to report you, that's something that FTC would be much more likely to take a look at at this point than somebody that forgot to put their privacy policy perfectly like the GDPR needs it. 
So I think it's important to have those basic things. Now with your newsletter, most newsletter companies have adapted at this point in time as we're recording this. It's about five months after the regulation went into effect. So most people have updated, like MailChimp was really fast. Clavio was really fast. Active campaign was a little slower. I can't speak to some of the other more popular ones, Strip, ConvertKit, all those constant contact, things like that. But my hope is that each of them would see that they had an opportunity to really offer this as a client service. And so what happens now is that just by default, you might have to, to look at this if you do make one of the pages that I was talking about where it's like the sad face and whatever. But by default, usually the customer or the visitor or the newsletter subscriber, I should say, that opts out of your emails uh, is offered the ability to have their personal data deleted. So it's not uh, sophisticated enough. I've, I've never seen it sophisticated enough to notice that I'm in the US and they don't need to delete my data, but it is an option now that's offered. So you know, if you just want to be sure that you're GDPR compliant, if you think you have to comply, then maybe you don't make that special little page I was talking about. But if you're in the US and you want to get less people reporting you as spam because that hurts your deliverability, then you know, maybe you make that little page I was talking about. But as far as like the actual newsletter itself, that's what you would change. But I think what you're referring to more is like the opt-in. So the opt-in now, you know, you guys have seen freebies or you've opted in for freebies or maybe you have freebies. And so what the more conservative attorneys with this GDPR stuff are saying is that you have to be open and unambiguous about what people are opting in for. So you, and you can't just like blanket opt them in for something. So that is the GDPR. That is what it says, more or less. I mean, it's still up for interpretation because it's not very clear. But still, the way that most attorneys have interpreted that is that you can give people a freebie. They can opt into your list for that freebie, or they can opt into the list that you have inside your server for that freebie, but they cannot opt in generally to your newsletter communications by default from that freebie. And that's where everybody freaked out. I, like I said, I'm not like conservatively, yes, that that would be what you do. And then once, once they opt in for that freebie, um, you can invite them to join your regular mailing list. That's the conservative view. I do not ascribe to that view. Like I said, I think there needs to be some kind of personal responsibility. I mean, if I'm friggin' telling you at the point of submission that I am going to be marketing to you, like what more do you need? just don't opt in. You have the choice at that point. You know, that's, that's what I'm doing. I think anybody, this isn't legal advice. You guys get to choose to do whatever you want. You can choose to contact an attorney on your own and have them guide you through it. So I think it's just something where you have to look at what's, what feels right for you. Like what is your risk tolerance? It's a really, I think it's a really, really sad regulation that came out of the EU. And I think it's, like I said, setting a really dangerous precedent for internet law in general. And it sounds like a lot of this is like common sense. People, partly people should know that they're going to get marketing emails because we all get them. But partly we just want to let them know, okay, this is what's going to happen when you sign up for my email list. You'll get this freebie and then you'll get some more emails. It's kind of just being upfront about what's going to happen with their information and what they can expect so that they can make an informed decision. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. And I, I think having like a hyperlink through to your privacy policy so that if someone wants to read it more fully, they can is a great idea. I love that. Um, you know, in any kind of opt-in page that we have, we have our privacy policy there at the bottom. And at the, as we go back through and add this, we're adding it to the, the disclosure when they check the box, like you just said, but yeah, absolutely. I think everybody needs to be making informed decisions. And that's, that's my viewpoint um, rather than like 
let's regulate uh, small businesses out of business and then, you know, nobody has any money to go around, which is what the, the EU's viewpoint seems to be. <laughs> and I did not know that they had said they were sending out warnings before fines. So that's really helpful to know too, is I'm sure that if that starts happening, we will be hearing about it and then we'll have some more guidance on what does this actually look like for us? Yeah, my my suspicion, just because I've watched internet law for quite a few years now, is that I think the greater danger is not any kind of regulatory body, but any kind of consumer protection group that is going to sue a company. But again, they sued Google, Facebook, maybe like WhatsApp, like this consumer protection agency. They sued these internet giants the day the GDPR came out because they, they knew, because Facebook and Google had basically said, we don't care. We are going to continue operating. And if you don't like that, then like you can take us out of your country. So these consumer protection groups decided to band together and file a class action lawsuit. So obviously that's still pending and going through the court system and it will be probably for years. So yeah, I mean, we really don't have much information about how this is going to be regulated, how often it's going to be pressed, you know, who they're really going to be scrutinizing. But my my suspicion is that it's it's not going to be a mom and pop Etsy shop that started a Shopify store. Yeah. Okay. Can we talk about the cookie banner that we're seeing that pops up on all of these websites now and basically says, you know, we're collecting information. <laughs> Just what yeah. is that? And okay. do sure. we need so, Well, okay. So that's, that's another thing out of the EU, this lovely EU that exists for, for the time being. So this has actually been a requirement since I think 2014. Again, like the newsletter, right? Like, oh shoot, I didn't know I had to have a real address. Like people are just kind of waking up and it's made them realize that like, oh wow, four years ago, we were supposed to have a cookie banner installed on our site. But you know, I guess like the EU shouted into the void and it didn't really connect, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and then the GDPR Armageddon happens and, um, people start to realize like, oh, the cookies are a big part of this privacy policy that happens. Well, we should probably have that cookie banner that we were supposed to have four years ago. So, you know, I think it's, it's not anything new, but yeah, you are seeing it everywhere because just with this renewed focus with the GDPR, people are like, oh, that was something we were supposed to have. Well, let's, let's get on that now. What the cookie banner does is it literally just tells site visitors that your site picks up on cookies and um, I'm not super techie, but from what I understand, cookies are little pixels of information that fill your website. So if you've ever noticed that when, like the second time you visit a website, it loads a lot faster, it's because the website has embedded and saved onto your computer cookies. And so those cookies open the images, they open the text, they open the pages faster because the data is already there. They're just like revisiting it. And I don't even think it's like novel or like there doesn't have to be anything fancy about it. It's like literally copy and paste whatever else everybody else is doing because, or, you know, make it into your own language or something. But like, it's just a matter of installing some kind of plugin if you're on WordPress, an app if you're on Shopify or um, in Squarespace. It's kind of unfortunate. I guess you can install some custom code or JavaScript or something, but like they have their own and it's like the ugliest thing ever. And you can definitely tell that it's a Squarespace site at that point. Yes, they have made it prettier, I've heard. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's good. But yeah, they just had, but it it is nice that it's so simple. Like you just, I think you just go into like settings, advanced cookie bar or something like, and you just say, yes, I want this. And it's, it's done with Shopify or with WordPress. It would, it would be a very similar thing. You would just have to install the, the plugin or the app and open it and then customize the text, uh, the colors, that kind of thing. But it is a little more customizable, I think. So 
nothing, nothing like revolutionary there. It's not going to hurt to put it on your site. I think people are so used to it and annoyed by them by now that they're just like, yeah, whatever. Um, no one's reading them anyway. So, you know, that's kind of how these regulations go. It's like they put them in place and then people stop paying attention to them. So they kind of sometimes do the opposite of what they're intended to do. Yeah. So a lot of this, it sounds like really we should have had it already and the GDPR coming out and just everybody freaking out about it made us realize that, oh, these are things that we should have had and now we actually are having to do it. We're seeing it out in the world so that we will do what we're supposed to. Yep. Nailed it. (laughs) Okay. So before we get into wrapping up, is there anything else you wanted to share about website policies or the GDPR, anything um, that we talked about today? Um, I think it's something that if you're losing sleepover, you shouldn't. (laughs) So if this is something that is really, really, really bothering you, uh, you can definitely talk to an attorney about it. Find somebody who is really well-versed in internet law. It's kind of hilarious because I feel like I run in a pretty type A group of attorneys and a lot of them do compliance and regulatory matters and internet law and and just working with big companies and things like that. But like when I was talking to other friends in my group, I was like, what do you guys think about this GDPR thing? And they were all like, these are big GCs for big companies, you know, based in the Atlanta area. And they're like, what? Like they didn't even know, you know, so, <laughs> um, you know, I had to teach them uh, what this, this thing was. So like I said, I, I think small business owners definitely took it a little out of proportion compared to where they stand in the marketplace. But it's not such a bad thing to have some kind of emphasis on a privacy policy. You get it done. It's out of the way. Maybe you revisit every 18 months or something, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely not something I'd be freaking out about. Okay. So I like to have um, just some action steps for listeners to take. So can you give us three action steps that we could take today to just get some of this stuff in order so we don't have to worry about it? Yeah, we'll go to thecontractshop.com forward slash quiz and you will find out exactly where you are with your business. It's super fun. There's like a question about my mommy drinks wine. It's really funny. So you can go there. You can find out exactly where your business is at and we're not just going to leave you hanging. There's paid and free resources there. So if you can't afford resources, like we have something for you, but if you can and you just want it done for you, we also have that um, at the end of it. So that would be my first action step. My second action step would be to if you're listening in your car or if you're listening, you know, on the treadmill or whatever, I would put it in your calendar to re-listen to this almost like an online course and go back and take notes at the places where, you know, you were confused or it kind of went over your head. And then the third thing, I should have maybe made this the first one, but like, remember that when you say you're bad at something or you can't understand something, it's a story that you have in your head. So if you say I'm bad at legal stuff, I'm bad at managing my business. I'm only good at the creative side. These are all stories that we have in our head. And so I don't know, write down an affirmation that says the opposite of believe it for a half hour as you go through these materials or as you like re-listen to the show, because you aren't bad at legal. You just don't know enough about it, or you just haven't immersed yourself in the operation side of your business enough because any small business owner is going to run into this legal stuff over and over and over again. So, you know, like I was really quote unquote, I'm bad at Facebook ads and I didn't understand it for the longest time, but I just kept listening. I kept learning. I kept doing it. And now I can set up a decent campaign for myself. Do I want to? No, I hire that out, but I know what they're doing and I know what they're talking about and I know what they, 
you know, what they're, they're saying to me with all these crazy acronyms that Facebook ads managers use. So I think it's, it's important that if you say you're bad at something, you will be bad at it. And if you can just tell yourself, no, I'm going to be good at it. And I'm going to pretend like I'm good at it for just like 30 minutes. It does start to change the trajectory. And if you can just like listen to more and more resources on the topic that you are quote unquote bad about, you'll start to understand it and you'll start to get grasp it. And it doesn't mean you have to become your own attorney or your own Facebook ad manager or your own graphic designer. It just means that you actually know what people are talking about and you can get a better result from the person who actually is an expert in that area because you can communicate effectively with them. So those are my three action steps for your audience. Thank you. Those are great. So these are the questions I ask for everybody. So the first one is, can you give us an example of how serving your clients well has benefited your business? Absolutely. I mean, at this point, I'm like hiding my submission form for new clients <laughs> um, because I just, we've raised our prices twice this year. Our hourly rate is kind of high for a small law firm and it speaks to the, the results that we're able to achieve for most of our clients and the experience that most of them have that they're just sharing us like crazy. So that's really exciting. And, and I think I'm going to be a little biased here, but the quality of my clients is like, whoa, I can't believe these are some of the people that are contacting me to work with me. And like I said, like now they're just emailing me directly because they can't even find like how to become a client anymore because I've hidden it. So yeah, I mean, I think client experience is everything. It, it built that business. I have a website technically, but I literally have never sent a client there because it is so crappy. So it does not matter that I don't have a website. It doesn't matter that they, it's not like perfect or whatever, that the onboarding process, it happens, but you know, maybe not as quickly as I want it to. So you know, I just make sure that more than anything, I'm communicating as well as I can with them. And that seems to be the crux of the client experience, whether it, it hinges on good or bad. Yes. Communication is huge for clients. So tell me two things that you're loving right now. They can be business or life or both. Uh... I am obsessed with bulletproof bars. So I'm sorry if you're allergic to cashews, but if you're not, they are awesome. And they are the best like pick me up afternoon snack bar I've ever found. So I'm obsessed with that. And then the second thing would be, I'm really, I've been really obsessed with like copywriting in my business lately. It's always something I've, I've kind of taken for granted. And I've always been good at myself, mostly when I'm like in a really depressed mood and I can write super funny stuff when I'm depressed, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm just like really loving diving into like different copywriting books and podcasts like Kara and Rob's The Copywriter Club. That, that's a really good one. Um, but yeah, I'm just like really into that and loving that lately. Cool. All right. Do you have anything that you're excited for that's coming up in the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. We, um, we run a Black Friday sale every year. This year is going to be very different from anything we've done in the past. So in the past, it's been 40% off like flat this year we're going to try to do something very different. So still a good deal, but basically the more you spend, the more you save. I'm really excited about, we have a couple of new products that are launching or relaunching and I'm really excited about them because I've put a renewed focus on the experience. Just like I paid attention to my client experience, now I'm paying attention to the customer experience. And so I'm really excited because even though these are products that we launched in the past, I'm so excited to like get in there and like really be a leader for these people and not just in the weeds with them, like creating this content. Cause if you guys have ever created a course before, you know that it can get like you sell it and then you're like, you never want to see it again. 
And then you have to go and you have to teach it or you have to show up for Q and A's or Facebook, like whatever it is. And so these are create, these were created a while ago. So now I just got to have fun and redo the content. So it's more beautiful. And then I get to show up and be there with these people instead of like really being like so sick of this content and this course, cause it's all I've looked at for six months that, um, you know, I never want to see it again. So I'm really excited about that kind of stuff. All right. And my last question is where can people find you online? Just the contract shop everywhere. You can Google it. You can find it on Instagram, Facebook. If you want more access to me, I don't have any kind of one-on-one offering or group coaching or anything like that. I don't do that. But um, I do have a Facebook group. It's called the La La Land Facebook group, L-A-W-L-A-W Land. And so that's probably like one of the best places to get access directly to me and not just like my support team that answers all our emails. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was really good. I'm hoping people have a little bit better understanding and can not freak out about all of this. <laughs> Just take some steps to get started. Agreed. That's the most important thing. I'm so glad you said that. Go get started, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Process to Profitability. Please take a minute to leave an honest review in iTunes so that I can help more small business owners and creative entrepreneurs find the show.